Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. December 2nd, 2021. Many of us were still in the pandemic lockdown times, but I sat down on my couch, as I do many nights during the NBA season, to watch a random Memphis Grizzlies game. Uh, I'm a Memphis Grizzlies fan. I grew up in Memphis. The Grizzlies came to Memphis when I was in high school. We had never had a sports team other than the one year that the Titans played in Memphis, one glorious year that they played in Memphis, and then they moved over to Nashville. And so I subscribed to League Pass. I watched like all the Memphis Grizzlies games. And on December 2nd, 2021, I witnessed NBA history. Because the, the Memphis Grizzlies, and I know a lot of you are like, basketball? Um, but just stick with me. The Memphis Grizzlies 
were playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes, Oklahoma City has a basketball team, and they're called the Thunder. They used to be in Seattle. I will not continue. Um, <laughs> the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2021 were historically bad, just terrible. And so here I am watching two small market teams play each other on a random day in December, which is like really early in the season. And no one would expect what happened next. Our big star, John Morant, he was out for the game. And uh, so no one knew what to expect, but no one would actually expect what happened because by halftime, the Grizzlies were up by 40. Woo! I was just basking in the glory. Thank you for the applause. Uh, You can bring more of it in just a moment. Um, Basking in the glory of a 40-point lead. No one has ever, the biggest comeback in NBA history is 36. So at this point, the game is over. And Oklahoma City and Memphis, they both came out. They might have played the starters for a couple of minutes, but then they both put in the subs pretty quickly. You You play the B team guys when you're down by that much, both sides. But you know what? The lead just kept growing. It's like the Oklahoma City Thunder just didn't care to play anymore. They were just like, here, take the ball. I don't care. Go score the ball. It doesn't matter. By the end of the third quarter, the Grizzlies were up by almost 60. Now, at this point, everyone's Googling the same thing. What is the biggest blowout in NBA history? And the announcers start to talk about it. The largest blowout in NBA history is 68 points. And at this point, you know, as a Grizzlies fan, you can't be more excited. You're just like, I'm watching the most amazing thing that's ever happened uh, to Memphis sports. And a long list of amazing things. Um, and at that point, Emmanuel, our, 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 worship, our uh, worship leader playing the keys back there, he's like, he had borrowed my car. He shows up. I'm like, bro, you got to come in. We're watching NBA history. And so he comes upstairs. We finish the game. The Grizzlies win by 73 points, NBA record. That's right. Woo-woo. Um, and what happened to the Thunder? Well, once they had realized that they had lost, they just gave up. They stopped trying. Now, the team was historically bad, but if you're in the NBA, you're good. They, they did not have to lose by that much. But they had resigned that they were going to lose, and so they just kept losing. I share this story with you all because I believe that Many of us have a 2021 Oklahoma City Thunder attitude toward our own sin lives, toward the sin that we feel like we just cannot shake, that's with us all the time. We've resigned ourselves to lose, and we continue to lose. We think, it doesn't matter if I try or not, I'm already defeated. And so we're playing the rest of the game, but we've resigned ourselves to lose. We consider our holiness very half-heartedly. We think, why even try? Why even try? I've already lost. And friends, this, this is the reality if you don't have Jesus in your life. Without Christ, you have already lost. But with Christ, it'd be like dropping prime Michael Jordan on that Oklahoma City Thunder team. All right. Are you going to win every game with prime Michael Jordan on the 2021 Oklahoma City Thunder? Probably not. But could you win any game? Yes, you could. You could win any game you wanted to. You have prime Michael Jordan. He's going to stick his tongue out and dunk the ball on someone, and you could win any game. 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us, No temptation has overtaken you 
that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Brother, sister, I want you to hear my heart for you today. Because I have a message that that we all need to hear, that I need to hear and be reminded of. And it's this. When the Lord is with you, you are no longer a slave to sin. When the Lord is with you, you are no longer a slave to sin. You've been released. You've been freed. You may live without it. You do not have to give in over and over. I want to give you courage. I want to give you encouragement to fight sin and to see victory. For almost a year now, we've been walking, crawling, if I'm honest, our way through Genesis. And we've come all the way to this final narrative. It, it lasts for like 14 chapters at the end. And uh, it's, it's about Joseph. And this Joseph narrative is, is the longest and Um, but it tells one cohesive story. If you remember correctly, back in Genesis 37, we covered this like three weeks ago now, so it's been a minute, and if you weren't here with us, I'll give you a quick recap. Joseph um, was one of the sons of Israel, one of the sons of of, um, Jacob, and he was the favorite son of Jacob. He was given a a multicolored coat, and he was shown as the favorite of son of Jacob, but he was also a bit prideful about it. He basically walked around and said, I'm dad's favorite son. Look at me. You all are going to bow down to me. I had a dream. And you won't believe it, but I was the best in the dream. And so his, his brothers, his 11 brothers, they decided, hey, this Joseph guy, he's got to go. So they decide to kill him, but one of their brothers says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. That way we get rid of him and we make a little bit of money in the side. So it's a great strategy. They sold him into slavery, and then the end of Genesis 27 ends with this cliffhanger, or 37, excuse me, that they sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, two weeks ago, last week, um, uh, Pastor Mark preached in Ephesians, but two weeks ago we did chapter 38, which is a side adventure about Judah and Tamar. It actually informs a lot that we do in Genesis 39, but I'm not going to have time to to recap much of what's going on in there. And today we're picking back up with that main story, with that cliffhanger of Joseph and Potiphar's house. So let's let's dig in here. We read through the Bible. We preach the Bible. So I'm just going to open the passage. If you, the way that you're going to get the most out of any message uh, preached by me is to open your Bible and to go along with me. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 39, and that's where we're going to be going. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now it says that Potiphar was a captain of the guard. And what I think about when I think of someone being the captain of a guard is that it sounds like he's a, a fancy, uh, you know, the head of the social, secu- the social security, the secret security, secret service, right? The, um, he's, the, he's like a personal bodyguard. That's what I think. But when you think about this title, it's actually used in a different place in the Bible. And it, it's used in 2 Kings 25 when it talks about the general of the Babylonian army that destroys Jerusalem. And so it was the highest-ranking military official of the day. 
So here you have Pharaoh, and I was looking up the highest ranking military officials in the United States. These are dudes you don't mess around with, all right? They probably have bumper stickers on your car telling you not, you're not gonna mess around with me. Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar is not a guy you wanna mess around with. He's a high ranking military official. He's not a Paul Bart Mall cop, okay? He is the dude. He's a very busy dude, he's an important dude, he's traveling a lot, he's making important decisions. He's one of the most powerful men and one of the most powerful nations that the world has ever seen up until this point. Let me put it like this. He's not someone you want to mess around with, he's someone that you want to be on the good side of. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So here Joseph, he had been sold into slavery. He's not in a good place, but all things considered, it could be worse. It could be worse. The Lord is with him. This passage emphasizes that the Lord is with Joseph. Over and over and over again, the Lord is with Joseph. Eight times in this passage, the sacred name for God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is used. And it's only used one more time throughout all of Genesis. The author wants us to understand that this is within the sovereign God of the universe's will and plan, that Joseph is in his hand. That Joseph is not alone in Potiphar's home, but the Lord is with him over and over again. It's emphasized in this passage. We cannot miss that. The Lord is causing Joseph to find favor and to succeed. One of the defining characteristics of Joseph's life is wherever he goes, he's given responsibility and he lives up to the responsibility. In Potiphar's house, he's given responsibility, he lives up to the responsibility. In prison, after this, he's given responsibility and he lives up to it. After that, working for Pharaoh, he's given responsibility and he lives up to it. And because of the way that he lives up to his responsibility, the Lord blesses him and blesses all of those around him because the Lord is with him. God blesses all those who are around him. I just want a brief point here. You don't have to be in full-time ministry for you to make an impact and to bless others with the power of God. Joseph was never in full-time ministry. He was not a priest. He was not a pastor. He was just someone who saw his life as an offering to God, and he lived it to bless others. May it be so for us as well. Verse 5. From that time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Potiphar trusted Joseph with everything. Joseph was a trustworthy person. And you know, it wasn't... It wasn't too bad for Joseph. It could be a lot worse if he sold into slavery. There's worse homes to be in. But here Joseph is given a lot of responsibility in one of the most powerful homes in all of Egypt. But then it turns. Now, the, the second half of, of verse 6, it gives us this little forewarning. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That means he's, he's a good-looking dude. That's, that's all that it uh, means. But verse 7 says, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. 
Now, the Hebrew is a lot stronger than the English here, actually. The original Hebrew. Potiphar's wife, she's entered into caveman mode because she no longer can speak in multiple syllables, but the, the actual Hebrew here says, sex now. That's all it says. She's only able to speak in those, those one-syllable words, you, me, sex, now, go. That's what she's saying. She's being very forward. And it's, it's, um, it's very clear what she's wanting, what Potiphar's wife is wanting. And so Joseph refuses her, but she's relentless. And uh, verse 10, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. But listen, look at this next part, too. To lie beside her or to even be with her. Day after day, she's coming to Joseph. And she's changing her tactics. She's like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Just looking for a weakness in his defenses. Because she's changing her tactics day after day. She's saying, Joseph, you don't have to, you know, do the sex now thing. Just come lie with me. Joseph, you don't even have to lay down. Just come be with me. There's nothing wrong with that. Just come be here. We're all familiar with these tactics from Satan, are we not? That tell us, hey, you don't have to sin, but why don't you just get as close to it as you can? And that'll be fun, right? That, there's nothing wrong with that. You can, you can turn around before you go too far or before you get caught. Satan's tactics haven't changed much in the past 4,000 years. Mrs. Potiphar is probably thinking what many of our neighbors think is it's just sex. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? We're both adults. What's the big deal? According to the commentaries that I read, in ancient societies, um, the sexual promiscuity was a regular part of slaveholding households. And that Mr. Potiphar, he had an important job. He was traveling often. And Mrs. Potiphar, she's probably thinking, a woman has needs. He'll understand. And what he doesn't know won't hurt him. And here we are in 2023 Somerville, Massachusetts. And our culture's view on sex is very similar to Mrs. Potiphar's. So I will not hear these, your, your views on sex are outdated uh, arguments. Because look, uh, your view on sex is just as outdated as ours is. It's just as old. We live in a world that says if someone looks good and we're both consenting adults and no one finds out, what's wrong with that? Why, would, why wouldn't Joseph do this? That's what they're thinking. Why wouldn't Joseph do this? And he tells her, and she only uses two words, but Joseph responds with a speech. Okay, let's look at Joseph's speech that he gives her. Verse 8, he says, but he refused, it says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, check this out. Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put everything that has been in my charge. He's not great, it, it, he is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I want you to notice that. That he's not saying against Potiphar, even though he is saying against Potiphar, but he's saying when I sin against Potiphar, my master, I'm sinning against God himself. 
You see, Joseph, he views sex as sacred. He views it as sacred. Mrs. Potterfram may not have shared this view, but he clearly drew the line and said, this is not something I'm willing to cross. The Bible teaches that sex is a sacred ceremony in many ways between one man and one woman bound in the confines of marriage. And it's meant to be a covenant renewal ceremony that whenever you have sex, you're renewing the vows that you made on that wedding day, which are not, I belong to you physically, but it's I belong to you physically, mentally, emotionally. All of me belongs to all of you. I live to sacrifice my life for you through, through better and worse, through richer and poorer I belong to you. And so when you have sex, it's meant to strengthen that bond that you have between these two married adults. Sex is never just sex. It's meant to strengthen that bond. And when you, when you have sex with someone outside of marriage, you're saying, I want physical oneness with you, but I don't want all that other stuff. I want physical oneness, but I don't want all the other things. I don't want that type of commitment. I'm not sure about that. And in a sense, you're objectifying, just as Mrs. Potiphar is objectifying Joseph. She's saying, you look good. Sex now. And when you have sex outside the confines of marriage and you're not just reinforcing that bond that the Lord has given to you, then in a way, you're saying, I just want your body I don't want all of you. And so you are doing damage to the design that God has given for this thing. God has designed humans to operate like this, where sex is this reinforcing thing. This is why it's so hard. And, and I'll tell you, this, I've seen it a, a million times. It's so hard when, when you are physically intimate with someone and then you break up. It's because you've been doing this thing that promotes oneness with another human being, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, and now you're doing damage to that. It feels like a divorce, as it should. That's what it's designed for. And God, as the designer of this thing, he gets to write the, the operating manual. He says, this is the way that I designed humans, and if you go against my intended design, you'll end up hurt. It's not good for you. And so to have sex outside the confines of marriage is like going into a Michelin star restaurant and bringing your own bottle of ketchup, okay? The chef says, that's not what this food was designed for. You're doing damage to what I prepared for you. And Joseph understands all of this. But it's not good enough to simply know all of these things. Joseph, if he had just known these things, he probably would have given in to them. But the scripture is really clear that the Lord is with Joseph. That the Lord is with Joseph. And that's why he has the strength to understand the repercussions of this behavior. Apart from that reality, there's almost no way he doesn't give in to sin. Because look, he has every excuse in the world to give in to sin. Why, would, why wouldn't he do it? Wouldn't it be good for his career? You know, a little strategic adultery has served a lot of people very well throughout their lives. Also, Mrs. Mrs. Potiphar, she's persistent. I mean, we might point the finger if he gave in the first time, but you know, on the 15th time that she propositioned him, 
Maybe we'd say, hey, you know, the man's got weaknesses. And lastly, like, no one would find out, right? What happens in Mrs. Potiphar's bedroom stays in Mrs. Potiphar's bedroom. Maybe Joseph is saying, look, I'm in slavery. My brothers forsake me. I'm not at home anymore. I deserve this. But he doesn't. He doesn't give in to sin. He remains strong. And after many days of this, weeks, we don't really know how long it goes on. It says day after day, but it all comes to a head one day. Verse 11. But one day when he entered into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. She's back to the caveman talk. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Friends, this man was so committed to following the Lord and being faithful that he ran out of that house like a two-year-old after bath time. He just left his garments. He's running out. He lost all of his dignity, but he did not lose his integrity. And he's committed to being with God. Now she goes home and she tells the story to everyone and she she changes the story. And it's really important that we read this in light of what happened in chapter 38 because in chapter 38, there's a woman who is sexually um, telling a story, but the story is very true. And so we can't assume that every woman who tells a story about how she was sexually assaulted is lying. And so it's meant to give these, these two together. But in chapter 39, she goes and she tells a story. She tells all the men of the household, and then she goes to her husband. I, I love how she brings it to her husband, because she uses every opportunity to twist the knife. Verse 17, she, she's talking to Potiphar, and she says, the Hebrew servant. Well, why do you got to bring my ethnicity into it? All right? She's meaning to stoke up xenophobia. Egyptians thought they were better than the Hebrews. Whom you brought in to us. She's following in line with Adam, who from the very beginning said, the woman that you made me, that you gave to me, she's blaming it. She's trying to put it on Potiphar that this whole thing happened. He came in to laugh at me, making herself just a full victim. And she said, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled the house. Now that's a story. How much of it is true? None of it. But Potiphar bought it. He believed her. And what does he do? He throws Joseph into prison. And when Joseph is in prison, it it says that the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You ever feel like you do the right thing and you just don't get the right response? Here Joseph did the right thing. He's following after God. And what happens? He's thrown into a prison. Look at Judah. Chapter previous, chapter 38. He has sex with a prostitute that turns out to be his daughter-in-law. And what happens to him? Nothing. He has children with her. But look at Joseph. He remains chaste. He remains headstrong. And is he rewarded for his good behavior? No, he is not. He is thrown into prison. But the author doesn't want us to miss this point, is that though God may seem silent, he is not absent. The scripture is very clear that the Lord is with Joseph in that prison. And the Lord is with us 
when it feels like we're not getting the right rewards for our righteous behavior. God's silence does not mean his absence. Our suffering does not prove his lack of love. Friends, one of the biggest things that we'll face in our battle against sin, and it is a battle. I mean, Joseph is, is like this good example. You, you all might be like, hey, this is, this is hard for me. Look, everyone in this room is a sexually broken human. We've all sinned in sexual ways. And whether that just be in your mind or physically, we've all sinned in that kind of way. And so it's not that I'm here to try to make you feel guilty. I'm here to convince you of God's way that's better than the world's way, because I know it is. God's way is better. And it's also just one of the most counter-cultural things that we can do. In 2023 Somerville, our mentality about sex is about as easy of a way to stick out like a sore thumb that you can come to. We have a very clear ethic for what this is. And the message of the Bible isn't that, hey, Christians, we're better than everybody else. You know, we're, we're these sexually clean people. It's like, no, we're people that recognize we're worse and we're bad and that we need Jesus to cleanse us. And so it's a message of forgiveness that Christianity offers, not of condemnation, but it's also a message of holiness. You know, churches used to preach on holiness more and more. We teach a lot on forgiveness, as we should, and we should, the forgiveness of God, but it should drive us to obedience. The love of God drives us to obedience. And you are not a slave to sin. Though Joseph was a slave in the house of Potiphar, he was not a slave to every sinful desire that came. And you, my friend, no matter where you are, even if life is not going well for you at this moment, are not a slave to sin. Do not give in to those despairing thoughts. That it doesn't matter what I do, God's just going to punish me for it. But God is with Joseph in the prison. He's with Joseph in the worst possible places, sold into slavery, thrown into the prison because he was righteous, and the Lord is still with him. You, my friends, have courage. Stand up and fight. You can win the battle with Jesus on your side. You got prime Michael Jordan on your team. You're not 2021 Oklahoma City Thunder without a hope. You have to fight and flee sexual immorality. You know, Paul references this story in 1 Corinthians 6 when he tells us how to deal with sexual immorality. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to flee like Joseph naked running out of Potiphar's wife's bedroom. He tells us to flee. God, when God is with you, you are not a slave to sin. What does Jesus teach us? Jesus teaches us that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to go into the kingdom of God without a hand or an eye than it is to sin against God. It's just better. It's better to be with God than not to be with him. And though the temporary pleasures of lust draw us in, it is better to be without it. Jesus is speaking hyperbole, obviously. He's not literally wanting us to pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands, but he is telling us that we have to take serious measures to flee from sexual sin. Christian brothers and sisters, you can 
You can. You can. I talk to people all the time. I'll tell you, in the past week, I've talked to like four or five who just feel like they are just a, a, a why even try? They're just a victim of their own sin. You can. <laughs> with Jesus, with Christ, with God with you. It's a long fight. It's a fight that we have to fight together. But you just need to know that message. Will you fail? Yes. You are going to fail and you need the forgiveness of God. But you can stand up to your sin. This is what Jesus teaches us. In in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes it like this. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart of the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more and more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What would Paul say to our day in 2023 when we have on-demand pornography on little screens in our pockets all the time? What would he say? He would say, the battle is harder. It's harder. It's harder today than it ever has been. You have a screen in your, in your, in your pocket or your, your, or your purse that would allow you to hook up with someone later this afternoon if you wanted to. The battle is harder, but it is not over. You're not a slave to that anymore. Jesus is with you, and when God is with you, you are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to sin. Paul's teaching us that when you come to Christ, your old self is dead. You're released from your slavery to sin, and now you can say no to sin. When Joseph's brothers pulled him out of that pit and sold him into slavery, it's like Joseph was given a second chance. And from that point forward in the story, you don't see Joseph being the same person. You know, before that, he's walking around, he's bragging about his dreams, he's telling everybody how beautiful his coat is, and he's really rubbing his brothers the wrong way. But after that, you see Joseph walk with the Lord. It's like he's been given a second chance, because when he was once dead, essentially, he's been given new life, and now he recognizes himself as dead to that sin that lived in him. You also were dead, my friends, in your trespasses and sins, but Jesus has made you alive. Jesus has made you alive. Today is an invitation. And it's an invitation to do this hard thing. And it's to recognize that your sin is not just a personal thing. It's not just a a relational thing. But it's a cosmic thing. That when you sin, it's a sin against God. And it's an invitation to talk to him. To speak to God about this. I don't know what you need to repent of, but all of us, all of Christianity is a continual repenting. And your sin separates you from God, but Jesus came to take away your sin. Friends, our church will never experience the revival, the presence of God coming down. It happens. It's been happening, but it will never 